Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Corinne with Tiny Homes of Maine on the podcast. And if you've been following along, you know that I'm a huge proponent of females in construction and seeing where we can go with that. So I wanted to talk about tiny homes because they're gaining traction. Mm -hmm. They're very popular. They have a huge market. And I think it would be wonderful to hear what somebody in Maine is doing with tiny homes. So welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got into it. Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, So yeah, my name is Corinne Watson. I have an electrical engineering degree from USM. And I was headed in that direction with a career at Fairchild Semiconductor and IDEX and I thought I was a a really crummy employee (laughs) Um, and I I don't know I just always I like home design building things I I come from a very blue-collar background and I grew up in a small home and we were just doing the daily grind, my husband Tom and I and our three kids. They go to daycare, we go to work, and doing the churn. Yep. You know, and then um, actually my dad passed away in April of 2018, and it just kind of triggered this whole life's short, you should really do what you love. Um, I had already started the tiny home business, but was doing both uh, um, tiny homes and working, and it, it's Hard. It's too much. It's yeah. a lot. The tiny homes, working, raising three kids. Yeah. I mean, that's just incredible. Yeah. And we have this thought that we um, we need to be busy all the time. And that's not really productive in anything. So, um, you know, I love that you, you have now fully committed to this yeah. idea of tiny homes. So you're building them um, in Holton, which yeah. is fascinating because who's building in the county so so very good so tell me a little bit more about building them in Holton and what you've got going on up there yeah so we're from the area um we grew up in Smyrna just south of Holton and we were building actually um in southern Maine in Cumberland um outside in a sand pit um and just doing what you had to do to start a business you know price was right um and it wasn't working out. <laughs> um, so we were home for Thanksgiving and we talked to the town. I figured there had to have been some space that wasn't being used. And um, they they said, we'd love to have you. Here's this old hangar, World War II, huge hangar. Um, and we worked a few things out and we just moved the operation there. And the people that we have working are friends and family that we we've known we grew up there so all you know our employees and the contractors and everyone wants to see our business succeed so that's a way different um that was that was a nice change from what we had in southern maine where it was we're in a building boom so it's hard to find contractors to show up absolutely it's overpriced and it just it didn't seem like it was going to work well so we've been building in holton for two years and we go back and forth, but I manage remotely. You know, we don't have cameras or time clocks, or and they love building inside. They're they're they 
are in construction and typically build outside. So as long as, you know, they don't have to be on a roof in January, yeah. they're happy. And We've been um, doing panelization for a number of years on the houses that we build, um, high-performance homes, and, and the amount of people who are just so flabbergasted by, um, you know, the panels that are built indoors, people are building year-round, and then they come, they stand the panels for us, and two days later, we have a house, and so mm-hmm. then all of our trades are working out in the elements and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, we still have to do our roofs, but we hopefully attempt to not do our roofs in the middle of February, but, mm-hmm. you know, occasionally it happens, but I have talked a lot about this on the podcast is I think that's really a wave of the future Mm -hmm. is panelized construction or indoor construction for you guys um you know for the scale that you're at and tiny homes are are portable so um it was a common misconception for me that building materials wouldn't be something that would go down the road very easily but you guys are proving you know with Mm -hmm. tiny homes that that's not the case so tell me a little bit more about the framework and the portability and and then what happens with the tiny home after it's built Mm -hmm. so we source everything right in holton so we work with a metal fab shop and we have custom trailers built and um, they are standard building materials we use zip system rockwell spray foam Um, and there's nothing special about how it's constructed but it's on um the most common size is a um, three-axle 21,000, uh, a trailer rated for 21,000 pounds, which is way overkill for what we're doing. Okay. And it's on trailer springs, and it has brakes, and it's safe to tow. So we're insulating a subfloor, and we're anchoring everything, and we're, we use construction adhesive and all the sheathing, and... Um, gluing and screwing everything so it's a rigid one unit on the trailer and it's not affected you know it's it's just like a car or anything that goes down the road um, it doesn't shift or rack or ha- we don't have any problems with you know we use 400 series anderson windows um, all of your standard uh, utilities plumbing electrical heat pumps and they travel anywhere they can go around the country or anywhere you want to take them. Are you building them currently, I would assume since you're building them in Maine, you're sort of building them to a cold climate yes. standard. Yes. So, um, but mm-hmm. I would guess that if somebody called you to who wanted to, to buy it in Maine and maybe they wanted to drive around a little bit, but they wanted to end up in Florida or something, mm-hmm. you could change some of the specifications to, to meet a somewhat different climate yeah, I mean, I would think um, we built to the, what is it, zone seven of northern Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have heat pumps for heating, cooling, dehumidifying. So right. it's going to be energy efficient, whether it's in cold or warm clients, uh, right. climates. Yeah. So um, we we do build whatever anyone wants. But I think the the standards that we're using for northern Maine building construction will work Well, anywhere. Yeah. Um, And I love to see that. I was just down in Florida with my husband and um, we went to this really interesting development where it's a whole solar community. They built a community center and a hospital and a school and everything in this um, in this community. It's all run by a that was this huge 75,000 megawatt system Mm -hmm. that runs. I mean, it's going to run several thousand houses. So uh, it's a it's a great idea. And then they were just building kind of okay houses in it. And I was so disappointed because I was like, 
you're doing all this stuff and you're doing this great idea of this community and then you're not pushing the envelope on the building science to make sure that this is just mm-hmm. just using less like your tiny homes obviously it's a it's a it's a small space mm-hmm. and one heat pump will run it um we did a community action um home replacement project for someone and uh, it was a one bedroom house and it ran on one heat pump. I mean, there's so much the heat pumps can do, Mm -hmm. especially if you do it right. And for you guys, especially the air sealing is, is the biggest part of it. Mm -hmm. you know, once you've sort of air sealed this unit, it's like the heat pump's probably overkill in some cases. (laughs) I mean, the smallest you can get is the 9,000 BTU and it's definitely, I mean, it's, I equate it to heating and cooling your vehicle. Yeah. So that's really fun. Um, what are some of the standard things that people ask for in their tiny house? Um, um, it's funny you should ask that because most of the people that are buying tiny homes, the design is centered around their pet. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So they'll bring their, their little dog or a cat to see if they can navigate up the stairs, the steep stairs or the ladder or how they like the lofts. So I think the most common request is adding a a catwalk um, or a a cubby for a litter box or maybe a built-in crate. Um, So I think that's the most common request is uh, one of our clients that's living in a tiny home she posts on Instagram a lot and she, she had this funny post of her two cats and her dog and she's panning around her tiny home and she's like, big cat house or tiny human house? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. That's a great way to think of it. Like it's just a big dog house. Or we're dog people. So yeah. we have, we have two dogs who would probably not navigate the stairs and just hang out on the lower level and still feel like they're in the same room and you and be, super happy with that Mm -hmm. um but yeah big dog house big cat house little person house yeah I think the concept behind tiny house is that you don't live in your space a lot you go out and you do other things because you just have a whole lot less space which means you have less stuff which means you have less anxiety about the stuff that you have less to do I mean if you can mop your 400 square foot tiny house in like five minutes and then Mm -hmm. cleaning is done or um we have this whole idea that you need to have place settings for 20 people and all this stuff and that just means that you can be a little bit lazy about your stuff it's like well I don't have to do the dishes today because I have 20 of these and you know all of a sudden you have a dishes mountain which then Mm -hmm. becomes overwhelming which is just really silly if you only have if it's just you in your Mm -hmm. tiny house and you have two cups and two plates you wash a plate and all of a sudden the dishes are done. Um, And so I love that concept of, it's not necessarily minimalism, but it kind of is in, in a respect of you just, you only have what you actually need. And we all actually need a lot less than we have. And I like to look at it like when you're out shopping or you go to Target and you, you see some home decor or you see something that you want to buy you have to consciously stop and think, okay, I have room for this. Where is this going to go? So that thought process makes everything that's in your home have a specified purpose.
purpose or value yeah. because it exists in there. Right. And so meaningful to yeah. you. I mean, those people who have ever done any of the Marie Kondo stuff is, you know, you, you pick the things and you keep the things that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a really small space, it's very curated to this is what is actually important to mm-hmm. us. So. Yeah. And it's a very emotional thing for most people, our clients anyway. And I always picture people, um, they say things like, I've never wanted to hug my house. Like when I get home, like I, like I love it. I love my house and I want to hug it like it's a, you know, it's a part of me. Do you ever have people that put them on foundations and then leave them just in the spot where they are? Um, that's a good question. Question, not in the traditional sense. Um, certainly, maybe a slab foundation that sure. it's pulled up on. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the more majority of our clients are not buying tiny homes to travel around the country. So the, the, the intent and what people find value in having it be movable is they're not um, at the mercy of the housing market. Uh-huh. So if their situation changes, um, a lot of people are digital nomads, uh-huh. so they can work from anywhere. So they they don't have to put their house on the market. They actually just have to hook it up and move it to the next place. So that flexibility, I mean, even though they might be in one place for one year, two years, or or whatever, but the flexibility of move when they want to and not have it be dependent on anyone or anything is why people are buying tiny homes. Yeah, because I think you have this concept or you think about the fact that, oh, well, tiny homes are portable, but then I've never seen a tiny home on the road. And mm-hmm. I know you're making them and you're selling them, and so clearly they, they, they at least travel to, to yeah. one site, but I don't think people are carting them around no. like campers. I think if you want to travel the country, you buy a camper yes. and you know you, you do whatever that is. I think yep. um, the, the tiny home thing is it, that is a really important aspect to it is is the ability to and when you're in your 20s and you live in your tiny home you maybe you want uh three acres and you want to play outside in the woods but then maybe when you get to a place where you want to retire you want to be in a community and mm-hmm. you want to have less yard work or less things to do and you want to go out to dinner and do something and so maybe that means then that your tiny house moves with you in the phase of the life that mm-hmm. you're in, which I think is is a really interesting concept. Yep. And um, to add on that, I, I hadn't thought about this, but I had this one late. Like I said, most of the clients are, are single women, usually in their 50s or 60s. And this one lady was telling me, basically she was thinking at, as a tiny the tiny home as an heirloom type thing that she was going to live in. She was downsizing from her big house. So when she passed, her kids didn't have to deal with any of that headache of going through Nana's stuff and selling the house or whatever. Cause she had just done that with her husband and it was a nightmare. She said, getting rid of that. She's going to have the, this tiny house with, you know, her heirloom desk and a handful of other things that mean so much to her. And then when she passes, she's like, eh, here you go, grandkid. Or, you know, you can have Nana's tiny house. And I thought, oh, that that's such a neat 
thing, you know, and it can go anywhere. That is a really neat thing. I listened to a lot of different podcasts and um, there was one that was on recently. It was actually a business podcast where the person came on and they talked about making these memory books and when you basically just compiled their whole life into one book. And Mm so it'd be so cool to like, they've, they've taken it, they've gone through all the stuff, they've gotten rid of all of that, they've compiled their life into this book that people can then read about and they've gotten rid of, you know, all of the things that you know they go through I I think that there's also a, a great number of people who would never be able to to live in the tiny house concept nope. that are very attached to the things they own and and that's fine I think mm. we have to realize that people are different mm. people use their spaces different people um, you know how they relate to things is, mm-hmm. is completely different um, but I do love the concept of it and the potential for we find the same thing is that we have a lot of Um, people who come to us that want to build a house for retirement, they want to age in place, they want a first floor bedroom, they Mm -hmm. want a lot less maintenance, a lot less work, they want to live in a house that's warm and comfortable and healthy Mm. because they've thought about this for their their whole lives. And um, they're downsizing and they, they want to be, you know, kind of in this community of other people who are in similar situations. And I think... I'm not sure, but I find the tiny homes seem to have communities. They not in Maine. Not in Maine. No. Nope. Not allowed in Maine. Okay, so that's another topic. Let's mm-hmm. let's talk about that for just a minute. What are the easiest towns to do a tiny home in in Maine so far? Um, I wouldn't say. Well, there's one town that has actually updated their ordinance mm-hmm. to define tiny homes, and when I'm saying tiny homes, I mean movable on wheels because certainly you can build a tiny home on a foundation not necessarily not in every town can you build a tiny home on a foundation right some towns do have still square footage requirements which as an architect i think is a totally bogus and subjective thing and we should just get rid of that but i do i I do Mm -hmm. understand the you know movable tiny homes for the same reasons that it makes it a great thing for the end user, the person who has the tiny home, it doesn't make it a great thing for a town who has this piece of property, it has a value, it has a house on it, and then boom, the next day, bye-bye house. Mm-hmm. And so it is a policy change and, mm-hmm. and interesting to to see. Um, so you mentioned there's one town that's approved. Yep. Chelsea, um, up near Gardner. Okay. Augusta, Chelsea, Maine. So they have um, uh, updated their ordinances. There's lots of towns that that want to, um, but don't know how. Mm-hmm. So I get several emails going, where do we start? What does this mean? How do you... So kind of churning through all those. Some towns, um, you know, we've placed tiny homes in, in Booth Bay, Oxford, Green, um, smaller towns. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't know how, but they... They're willing to try it. Yeah. So they're working with an individual. They hear their story. This is why I'm taking, I'm living close by my elderly mother mm-hmm. or, or a number of things. And this is what I really want to do. This is what's affordable. And, and they don't have a process, but they try to, you know, here's a building permit for this. Here's that. And if you're hooked up to a well and septic, you're good. And they just make it happen. Which I think is pretty cool. 
I think it's pretty cool too. I actually think that um, we've been hearing a lot about this in the architecture community um, and partially because I, I belong to a community of architects that are all over the country. And so California specifically is having a major housing crisis and they just don't have anywhere for people to go. And so they're approving these accessory dwelling units for people's mm-hmm. backyards, but it seems like that would be a perfect fit for a, a try the tiny house concept, allow people to to put a tiny house in the backyard and use that as a rental and see if it works. Mm-hmm. Like, And then if for some reason there's some economic whatever, I don't know, because I, I can't even imagine all the things that you might run into, mm-hmm. it would be something that you could then take away mm-hmm. you know and so know. instead of creating all of these accessory dwelling units and then maybe finding out that this concept isn't really good it doesn't work well for the city there's too much density or there's too, there. too and then they're still there and then oh you have this thing in your backyard but you can't use it or um so that's value I'm, back when you sell or exactly so i think it could be an interesting concept for bigger towns you know portland also has a housing problem problem Mm -hmm. i don't know if anybody has enough room in their backyard to to even put a tiny house back there Mm -hmm. but could it be an idea or a future idea and i think it's it's an interesting concept we tried so hard with south portland um to do that just what you mentioned yeah we said path to permanency uh you know maybe you, you if you want to put a tiny home in your backyard a permit every year for three years but if it's there longer it needs to be more permanent because obviously it's not going mm-hmm. and you know their town council turns over so there's new members and we had workshops and I was really hopeful and then this last workshop they just went in the direction of ADUs only yeah. and I said well I didn't say this because um, the meeting was over but no one realizes that I shouldn't say no one but um, I wanted to point out that we're in a building boom, and I'm sure that you know. Right. And good luck finding a contractor to come to your house to and build, build an ideal two hundred square foot and un- home. And unlike what you're doing in Holton, where you can then Deliver take it. it to the site. Yeah. Down here, the the problem is there just aren't any more contractors. You know, in mm-hmm. 2009, when the market got bad, people got out, and we're not seeing that skilled trade mm-hmm. come back right. in. And so, they're they're lucky if they can field a crew, and then they're lucky if their crew isn't 50% new new people, mm-hmm. female or male, who who haven't been doing it long enough. And it, mm-hmm. you're you're using this investment to invest in these people, which is great. But it's going to take longer, which mm-hmm. means they can take on less projects, which means there's even less that they can do, even if they do have people who are like, I want to learn and I want to do this, where you on the opposite spectrum, mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of industry in Holton. Mm-hmm. And there probably are plenty of people who would like plenty. to work inside. Yes. I mean, not even, just, not even just um, contracting, but but just inside, yeah. you know? Yeah. And... There, here's this huge market for for something that you could provide that you could then deliver to a space. Mm-hmm. And I agree, maybe there needs to be some rules about permanency and permitting and how long it can stay there with, you know, it's, you know, do you take the wheels off and put it on some kind of semi-permanent foundation? I mean, the the base of it is, is fine, whether it rolls or whether it doesn't mm-hmm. roll. In fact, if you don't move it for three years, the tires are going to be flat and everything else. But... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that there's this huge potential for it. And it's the same thing that we've been exploring with panelization is 
that people want to work inside. And so if we can get our windows installed and our insulation Mm -hmm. in and everything already before it gets to the site, Mm -hmm. and then you put it up, then everybody else is working inside for, you know, and so we're filling a gap that's, you know, it's not tiny house, it's just slightly bigger than tiny house. We're still reducing square footage, but maybe we're saying, okay, you're a family of five and maybe you can't live in 400 square feet, which... Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, you you did this summer with your family, which mm-hmm. is great. And um, w- so we're filling kind of that next gap, you know, between there has to be a way to build it more cost effectively, more energy efficient and in a different environment because the next generation of people who are building want to work inside they're really interested in the technology piece of mm-hmm. it. Like, what are all these cool parts and pieces that go together? And they're mm-hmm. just kind of beyond the, we've been doing it this way for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And so I find what you're doing absolutely fascinating. And I think that it's awesome that you decided to come on the mm-hmm. podcast. And um, like everybody, you guys are busy, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. So we end the podcast every time with a, you don't know what you don't know, which mm-hmm. is essentially what's one of the biggest myths for you um, in, in tiny homes? Like what do people think that they know about tiny homes that's a total misconception? Um, there's several. Uh, Feel free to enlighten us on all, all of them. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I'll mention one of my, my frustrations and it has to deal with, um, not so, not so many people buying tiny homes or wanting to live in them because it's all positive. They're all about it. I mean, they're coming to me because this is what they want. I'm right. not having to try to convince somebody to live in a to tiny, live in a tiny home. Yeah. So on the on the other side of that, I do have to try to constantly convince towns to allow people to live in them. Yes. So I've sat down with several building officials and co enforcement agents, and that's when I get a number of um, comments that make me shake my head of reasons why people can't or shouldn't be allowed to live in tiny homes. Um, One that always sticks out in my head is a gentleman saying, because they're on wheels and we have cold snaps in Maine, that they could come out, you know, have a flat tire and their tiny house could tip over. Or, (laughs) yeah. Um, So just a number of, I I don't even know where that thinking comes, but it, it doesn't fit the normal mold. And it doesn't fit the checklist of what you're used to for, you know, our values and and, and everything. Even though you know we calculate um, based on U factor and, and heat loss, um, but just from the um, building official community, there's a lot of misconceptions about tiny homes and how they're built, and there's not really any mystery to it. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well how do you run the utilities? You know, how does the water get in and out? And I say, it's the same as a mobile home. It's the same exact thing. You you skirt around the bottom and make sure it's above freezing and you have water coming in from either public or a well source and you have water, typically gray water because we have composting toilets um, going to, um, you know, public or private sewer. So... It's usually um, just educating people on those aspects of tiny homes. 
Yeah, I think that is uh, pretty traditional in the building industry across the board is when people don't understand something and it's this new concept, they're always going to find reasons not to do it Mm -hmm. instead of reasons to do it. Um, Interestingly enough, we have a homeowner who's doing a loan for one of their projects and the bank asked for more money to review the documents because they were more complicated. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I can just make it a napkin sketch if that's easier, you know, Mm -hmm. because we're doing a lot of high performance things and it's just that it it was different Mm -hmm. it wasn't the standard two by six wall with fiberglass insulation on a foundation that wasn't insulated which Mm -hmm. is just bad Mm -hmm. anyway um and and so there's always a pushback I think from things they don't understand when I was doing a lot of large-scale energy consulting um there was this article written about this woman in North Carolina who wanted to live in basically a tiny home it was a camp it wasn't actually a tiny home but it was a small house she had a composting toilet so she didn't have a septic and um she had solar panels on the roof so she actually was completely off the grid Mm -hmm. and um so she did, wasn't paying any of the utilities and the utilities fought back and said, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And what they used as leverage was you're going to, you know, create this unsafe, unhealthy environment where you're not dealing with waste and blah, 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 because mm-hmm. they didn't understand the concepts behind it. But mostly they were just really annoyed mm-hmm. that she wasn't paying any utilities. Yes. Yes. And so it was so frustrating because... Wouldn't we all just like to have no utilities? Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of the joke here. Um, CMP is most of the state of Maine. And so I make this joke on the podcast a lot, which is it's $11 a month to live in one of our houses because we have solar panels on the roof and um, we're grid tied. So... Mm-hmm. CMP has to charge you something. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's sort of the joke mm-hmm. here is, you know, they have to tie, charge you something to be tied to the grid. And in fairness, they should, because if you're pushing power back to the grid, you are using some infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And so they should charge you a little bit for maintaining that, because obviously with Maine and the amount of wood that we have, we don't want to be having forest fires like California mm-hmm. is having in 10 years as climate change starts to really affect our country, mm-hmm. um, which is another reason I love tiny homes is you're such a small footprint mm-hmm. using so little to live in it mm-hmm. and living well and healthy. And it's not for everyone, but it is for a good number of people mm-hmm. who want to do it. So yeah. I applaud the fact that you're doing it, that you thought outside the box and that you moved to a rural community mm-hmm. in Maine where you can provide tiny houses to anyone, mm-hmm. anywhere in the country, really yeah. even, or Canada. Um, you know, or Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, probably easier to deliver <laughs> right. them to Canada. Yeah. You just have to pay that tax when it goes across the line, yeah. right? Um, but so you can provide them to anywhere, and you're providing an industry for a town that needs mm-hmm. some new way to think about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on, telling us more about what you do. Um, if there's anybody from the podcast who listens who wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to uh, get in touch with you afterwards? Um, email. Corinne, that's C-O-R-I-N-N-E, at tinyhomesofmaine.com. Okay, great. I will make sure that ends up in the show notes, your email, links to your Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And from your Instagram, I think that uh, some of your homeowners tag you guys Mm -hmm. in it so you can start following some of the other homeowners Mm -hmm. who post 
absolutely lovely pictures of their spaces. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're beautiful spaces. You look at it and you go, it's a tiny mini Joanna Gaines house, <laughs> you know, or it's this tiny mini, mm-hmm. you know, woods cabin. There's there's so much character to yeah. the spaces, which which I love too, um, that we've been doing here is it's not, it's a super energy efficient house, but that doesn't mean it has to be stark and modern and mm-hmm. minimalist. It can absolutely be cozy and comfortable and warm and throw rugs and pets and Mm -hmm. all of that so again I just really appreciate you coming and thank you so much for joining us thank you thanks for joining in I hope you are enjoying the podcast and we really are enjoying having guests on if you have a chance leave us a comment or a review on apple itunes podcast if you're listening to it on my website you can leave comments in each individual show notes and i'd love to hear if you have a podcast player that you would like to hear us um push the podcast to the podcast player or if you'd like to have an email every week going out just to remind you that a new podcast is up on the website if you're uh, listening online instead So thanks for tuning in. Leave us some comments, feedback, and we're always looking to hear what you'd really like to know about.